and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. We hope today, as you listen to this week's content, that you grow in your faith and in your relationship with God. Connect more with us by going to ardmoresummit.church and remember to love God, love people, and love life. He's alive. Here it is again. He's alive. We serve a living God. It's the hope of the world that we get up every day, that this is the reason we live. 52 Sundays of the year, we're preaching messages, and it's all about this day right here, because he is alive. He is risen. I wish I could have been there that day to see how this happened. What did this look like? What did this feel like? What was, this, what was the news like? And I'm hoping today, We can try to get in that mode where we can kind of see and experience what was that like. But before we get into those things, I would like to talk about, let's talk about the resurrection for just a moment. What did the resurrection mean for us? What does the resurrection confirm? Not just what does it mean for us, what does it confirm for the believers? What does it confirm for the world? So if you've got your outline, if you're ready to go, are you ready to go? We're gonna dive right into this and we're gonna go on to that next slide. Jesus' resurrection is confirmed by the following facts. Point number one, the empty tomb. It's confirmed because the tomb is empty. He is not there. He was there and is no longer there. There's been some, there's been some conversations that, well, maybe Jesus didn't really resurrect. Maybe his enemies came and took him. Maybe his disciples took him and all these things. And they're just, this is a false gospel. Well, the thing is that I'm thinking is this, if Jesus's enemies truly did go in there and rob his body, that's what they really did. My thoughts were, I'm pretty sure that they would publicly announce this and humiliate him even further because I had no problem doing it on Friday. So the, 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 the resurrection confirms that the tomb's empty. I just don't see that his enemies would just hide him without publicly shaming him and showing, look what we have done. Going further, here's the reality. His enemies did all that they could to prevent this message moving forward. If something's not true, why would you try to stop it from spreading? They're they're conspiring, say say to those people that you did steal their body. They're over there trying to work a plan because they can't wrap their minds around the fact that he is not there. Some people say maybe his disciples took him. Maybe it was his disciples that took him. Here's the reality. If his disciples had taken his body, they would have never sacrificed their lives for a lie. I'm going to put it to you this way. If I told you to believe something and you knew it was a lie and I said, you take it with you to your grave. When the moment comes to sacrifice your life over this, let's be honest, you'd say, okay, hey, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. My life's worth living more than this lie. But they saw him. There's many accounts where they saw Jesus post resurrection and they knew He's alive. They would not sacrifice their lives, their possessions. Jesus' resurrection is confirmed by the empty tomb. And number two, the people. It's it's confirmed by the people. What are you saying, Pastor Coda? If Jesus had not risen and appeared to them, then their attitudes would have never changed. 
Let me follow, follow me. They're heartbroken. They're, they're destroyed. Their teacher, their Lord, people that have spent four years with him, people who have followed him, every move they've been with him, they're destroyed. They're heartbroken and in despair that he's gone. Why out of the blue are they all of a sudden extremely happy? Why all of a sudden are, is there unexplainable joy? Why is there courage? Why do they have all of a sudden this sense of hope? It's because they had seen him. It is not a dead God that we serve. Their attitudes would have never changed. So Jesus' resurrection is confirmed by the empty tomb. It's confirmed by the people and the writers of the New Testament. Think about this for just a moment. I'm just giving you some, just some basic things. Why in God's green earth would the writers of the New Testament take the time out of their own lives to write about a story that they knew was an illusion? Why would they, why would it be protected? Why would people be, be murdered for this message if it wasn't real? They would never have wasted their time. I can't imagine Paul just saying, I'm going to waste my time on writing this. Just, we're just going to make, we're going to fake it till we make it. No, they knew. They saw him. They, they felt him. They understood Jesus' resurrection is confirmed by the empty tomb. Amen. He is con it's confirmed by the people. You and me are encounters. And number three, the changed lives. I know a lot of people who have encounters with, with religions. I'm not trying to step on my toes here. I'm just being realistic. For over 2,000 years, millions of people have experienced Jesus' life-transforming presence in their lives. You, can, you cannot argue with looking at people who you know were no good, who were destined for an eternity from God, who were just honestly some disgusting people like me, and all of a sudden, they're different. Why would it be different if this was something that's false? People look at me and they hear my last name and my last name isn't, you know, popular around town by any means, but they, they look at me and they go, how are you not like the rest? Why aren't you in the bars down the street doing karaoke with the rest of your family? <laughs> what's so different about you? What is, what's so different about you compared to the rest? You're a pastor? Man, Jesus changed my life. He changed my life on a campground when I was a teenager. He confirmed it two years later at a campground when he said, I'm calling you. Here's the thing for me. This isn't for you. For me, I needed to be known as a son. And when he can come to me and say, son, I saw this. I have an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to believe when no one else does. You got your choice. It's okay. I love you. But Jesus' resurrection is confirmed by the empty tomb, by the people, about the changed lives. Too many people's lives are being changed. If it's a false gospel, no. Let's go on to the next slide. What does the resurrection show us? The resurrection shows us, number one, this resurrection meant peace. This resurrection meant peace. Now, in, in the post-re-erection accounts where they saw Jesus showing up, right? All the time he would always say, peace be with you. 
I love it. It's actually kind of comical when you read the stories and you, and you see it like he just pops in out of nowhere. Doors are locked. They're hiding out. And Jesus just shows up and says, peace be with you. Every time he's greeting his disciples, peace be with you. And, it, and I want you to try to see something here. Jesus' last words, follow me, on the cross and his first words to his disciples are connected. It's o- it only makes sense that the last words of it is finished is followed up when he first communicates with his disciples, peace be with you. It is finished and peace be with you reflects the completion of the earthly work of Jesus Christ that he came to accomplish and followed immediately after this resurrection, peace with you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the ground by which sin, our defiance, and rebellion against God is addressed. He makes it right. He brings this. There's a scholar by the name of G.R. Beasley Murray. What a name. Could he not just say G.R.? But G.R. Beasley Murray. He's a New Testament scholar. And I'm going to quote this. This is what he said. He said, he captures the essence in the following statement. It is well known that what was and still is the everyday greeting of Jews in Palestine, shalom to you. But this was no ordinary day. Never had the common word been so filled with meaning as when Jesus uttered it on Easter evening. All that the prophets had poured into shalom as the epitome of the blessings of the kingdom of God had essentially been realized in the redemptive deeds of the incarnate son of God lifted up for the salvation of the world. His shalom, his peace on Easter evening is the completion of it is finished on the cross for the peace of reconciliation and a life that's now imparted to God. This resurrection shows us that resurrection means peace. Number two, this resurrection was different. This was different. Me and Pastor Jonathan, as we're leading up into the Easter weeks, we've we've really been talking about this left and right. And what is so different about this resurrection? Because resurrection wasn't an uncommon thing in that day. We've heard about the dry bones coming alive. We've we heard about when Jesus is approached about a, a daughter that is dead and he raises her from the dead and he's not even there. We see for crying out loud, Raz- Lazarus is raised from the dead. So resurrection isn't something that's just out of the blue. What is so different about this? Well, every other resurrection and those beings, they were restored into their old bodies who would eventually go on to die. Lazarus is dead. That girl eventually died. Jesus resurrected into a new incorruptible body that is still alive today. I said it in the beginning when we were talking about worship. I love the scene where he shows up and he says, it's me. And they're frightened because they think they saw a spirit. I love, his, I love how sincere he is. He says, look at me. Look at the holes in my hands. Look at my side. You know good and well that a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I do. I'm right here in front of you. Believe in me. Believe in me. The fact that Jesus is still alive today, it gives a whole new meaning to life. If you're here today and you don't have any 
you just don't care about life, you're ready for life to just be over, there's no meaning to you, this gives a whole new meaning. There's a future in store for you and I. There's a future resurrection that we will be, be able to be resurrected as Christ was resurrected. That we have, we have something in store for us. That he has something planned for us. Number three, the, rex, the resurrection shows God is for us. The meaning of the resurrection is that God is for us. He aims to close the gap. He focuses on us. When we see the cross, we see God's heart towards humanity. When you see the cross, you see God's heart towards humanity. For God so loved the world that he would give his one and only son. He would give him. He would willingly say, this is for you. The resurrection is the promise of God that all who trust in Jesus will be the beneficiaries of God's power to lead us in paths of righteousness through the valley of death. Believing in the resurrection means trusting in all the promises that life and hope and the righteousness for which it stands. Believe in this. This resurrection was different. This resurrection shows us that God is for us, but now, what was that day like? In the present, in the moment, what was the first Easter like in the week that follows? Many of us today, we're going to leave this place. I heard somebody was smoking ham and I'm a little jealous because I want to be there too. Most of us are going to go and do great things with family. We're going to smile. We're going to have a good day. We're going to go hunt Easter eggs and it's just going to be an awesome day. Some of us are going to go home and take a nap. That's what we're going to do. Amen to that. That's what we're going to do. What was it like for them? So if you're okay with it, let's look at a, a, a little bit of scripture. A lot of bit of scripture. I want to look at John chapter 20 verses 10 through 18. It's up on the screen where you can follow along in your app and it says this. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now this is, they have showed up. Mary said he's not here. They have showed up. They've went to look in and granted he is not there. Granted he is totally not there and the disciples are marveled by this and they go home and this is where we pick up. The disciples went back to their homes but Mary. Mary. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, listen to this phrase, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turns around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, we don't know why she didn't know it was Jesus. Could be that she was crying so hard she couldn't see. Could be that it was early in the morning, couldn't tell. Regardless, she could not see that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, listen to the phrase, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And I love this. When I was reading this and studying this, my wife comes upstairs and has no idea why. Why are you crying? What's up? His response, Jesus says to her, Mary. Mary. See, first she's referenced as woman. Woman. She's thrown in a category. Then he says, Mary. 
And it's in this moment that she recognizes his voice. And she says, Rabboni, teacher, it is you. And I love this. Jesus needed, excuse me, Mary needed to hear her name. Mary needed to hear her name. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, the sheep know his voice is what the word says. She couldn't tell it was him. All of a sudden, he says, Mary, and she recognizes. For Mary to believe, she had to hear her name. This was her encounter. So what can we learn from this encounter with Mary on this day? Number one, believe. Number one, believe. Let's go on to the next scripture. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. We'll put it up on the screen. Go to the next slide for me. This is Thomas. Now, the disciples have been together. Thomas wasn't a part of the little party where they got to see Jesus. And Jesus has shown himself in the flesh to these disciples. Thomas was not there. And they come back to tell Thomas of everything that they have just seen. And this is where we pick up. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. This is a bold statement. I will never believe. I will never believe unless I can do this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, there it is, peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, picture this, come here, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it on my side. I can imagine when Thomas is holding onto him and Jesus is holding his hand and he's looking at him and says, believe in me, believe in me. See, Mary needed to hear her name. Thomas needed to touch. Mary needed to hear her name. Thomas needed to touch him. You have believed, he says, you have believed because you have seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen me, yet they believe. What can we learn from this encounter with Thomas? Number two, if you put it up on the screen. Belief. Belief. Let's look at some more scripture. Can you hang with me? We're almost done. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, following up, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Looking forward in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 12. Let's look at this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Now Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Hard day. Just as day was breaking, all night they fished, didn't catch nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus says to them, I love this, it's funny. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Look at this. He says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Seems oddly familiar. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is, the, it is him. And Peter's like, no way. Throws off his shackles. He jumps in this and they start swimming to Jesus. And they can't believe it is him. Now follow me here. I love, I see, I see humor in all this. If you don't see humor, and me and Josh were talking about this. This is hilarious. Jesus propped up with the campfire, cooking some fish, even though they're trying to get some fish. He says, hey, have you caught anything? No. They can't tell who it is. They're, they're still in disbelief. They, they, they've seen the resurrected Christ, but they're still just trying to wrap their minds around this. Hey, did you catch any fish? No. Well, throw the net on the right side. If you'll back up way back when Peter's called to be a disciple and John is there, what happens? Can't catch any fish. Jesus' words were, throw your net out on this side and you'll catch some fish. To me, the joke is that Jesus is saying, hey, if you'll cast your net out, and it's like a little inside joke between these guys. They go, oh my gosh, it's you. Mary needed to hear her name. Thomas needed a touch. John needed to catch some fish. John says, amen. That's what each one of these encounters to believe is wildly different. Please bear with me. One more. John and the worship team, if you guys will come help me out. What can we learn from this encounter? Number three, believe. Now my favorite, my favorite scripture for today as we close it's found in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Just a couple verses. This is just following after breakfast and that event on the shore. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus had said to him the third time. By this moment, I think a little light bulb clicks for Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says, it says, Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? I don't think it's a coincidence that he's asked three times because just two days before, I'm your ride or die. I'll never leave your side. I will go to the grave with you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. It goes on to say, and we see this, he's denying him. And by the third time as the, before the rooster crows, the Bible shows us that they locked eyes. The Bible shows us that Jesus locked eyes with Peter. 
as he denied him. I can imagine the pain that both Jesus felt and that Peter felt knowing what he was doing. I think the first two times he's asked, do you love me? He's, yeah, you know I love you. That third time, I think the light bulb clicked. He's realizing, yeah, I know. I know. But he says this, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you with everything. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denies, three times he reassures him that he loves him. To the person who denied him, he establishes him to be the first pastor of the Christian church. It's wild, he says, take care of my sheep then. Putting you in charge, go lead. Are you sure? Even me? Yes, I know you love me. Mary needed to hear her name. Thomas needed to touch him. John needed to catch some fish. And Peter needed restoration. He needed to be restored. What does this show us? That no matter where you are at on the spectrum, Jesus has made himself present to you today and says, do you love me? Look at me. Will you believe me? What can we learn from this encounter with Peter? Number four, believe. So where are you at? Some of us need, some of us need to hear our name. Some of us need to have a wild encounter with Jesus. We've got to have one of the most extraordinary encounters as Thomas did. We need to have a touch. Some of us just need that little light bulb moment to click, that little inside joke that you've got with God. And he says, hey, throw the net on this side. Some of you need to be restored. So no matter where you're at, we need him. Can we stand this morning? Hey, thanks again for listening to the Summit Church Podcast. We hope today you enjoyed the content and what God was speaking to you today. Again, we'd love to connect with you more by going to ardmoresummit.church. Join us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. in Ardmore, Oklahoma at 1725 North Commerce Street. Take care and be blessed.